0: Tonight then insha'Allah ta'ala The title of the lecture as you will have seen Is the quest for knowledge As believers It is upon us all To seek knowledge of our religion To seek knowledge of Al-Islam Because we do not want to be Muslims only by name, as Sheikh al-Fawzan hafizahullah ta'ala mentioned, it is not appropriate that a person be Muslim by name only, and that he doesn't actually know anything about his religion, that he doesn't actually have any knowledge at all. Of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. That is not befitting. That is not suitable. That is not appropriate. That is not what is required of a believer. A Muslim needs to be a Muslim by the reality of that name. A Muslim upon knowledge. A Muslim... Who understands his religion, not a Muslim who is ignorant and knows nothing and is only Muslim by name. There is a big difference between being Muslim just by name and Muslim upon knowledge and understanding. The easiest or the simplest Thing to understand when it comes to knowledge, and why do we need to seek knowledge? As a Shaykh Bimbaz, rahimahullah Taala, mentioned that Allah has told us in the Quran our purpose and objective, which is to worship Him. إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Very simple few steps here. Allah has told us in the Qur'an that our purpose in life is to worship Him. That's clear. That's easy to understand. Allah has told us that He did not create the jinn or the humans except for us to worship him. That's stage one. We know that our purpose here in this world is to worship Allah. Stage two, as Asher Bimbas mentioned, is that you now need to understand and work out How you are going to worship Allah? You need to work out and understand how to worship Allah so that you can fulfill stage one. Stage one we learned was that Allah has created us and placed us on this earth to worship Him. Stage two is for us to then work out, and to understand, not to work out, but to understand. To understand and have knowledge of how to worship Allah. So how are you going to do that? You know Allah has created you to worship Him. You know that you need to understand and realize how to worship Allah so that you can do it, so that you can worship Him. But how are you going to understand how to worship Allah then? That's where it comes in, through seeking knowledge. So knowledge is a necessity in the life of a believer. Because only through knowledge can you fulfill what we mentioned in stage one, only through knowledge can you fulfill the purpose of your existence, which is worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Without knowledge, how are you going to worship Allah? Without knowledge, how are you going to pray every day properly? Without knowledge, how do you know what tawheed is, what the correct aqeedah is? Without knowledge, how do you give your zakat? How do you know how much to give? Without knowledge, how do you do the fasting of Ramadan? What are the rulings? What you're allowed to do? What you're not allowed to do? Without knowledge, how are you going to perform hajj? Without knowledge, how can you worship Allah in any way? To worship Allah and to therefore fulfill your objective in this existence, you must have knowledge. And that's why the scholars have mentioned, there is a minimum level of knowledge that every believer needs to have. There are different levels of knowledge. Different levels of knowledge. Some levels of knowledge are higher than other levels of knowledge, but there is a minimum quantity that every believer needs to have from knowledge. What is that minimum quantity? Can anybody define, give us a definition of what the minimum quantity of knowledge is that every believer needs to have? The five pillars of Islam, that's an example. What about a definition that would cover all of the examples? The definition would be the amount that you need to be able to worship Allah. That's the minimum amount of knowledge every believer must have. The amount that you need to be able to worship Allah. So, for example, how to make wudu, is that from that amount of knowledge that every believer needs to have? Absolutely, because without that knowledge of how to make wudu, it means you wouldn't be able to pray, you wouldn't be able to establish the daily prayers So knowing how to make wudu would be a minimum level of knowledge. Knowing how to pray would be a minimum level of knowledge everybody needs. Otherwise, how are you going to pray? Five times a day? So there are certain things that are minimum levels of knowledge that every believer needs to have. And then there are higher levels of knowledge, more advanced levels of knowledge the further and deeper a person goes. But for every believer, there is a minimum quantity needed, and that is the minimum quantity you need to be able to worship Allah. Meaning, if you didn't have that minimum quantity, you wouldn't be able to worship Allah properly. If you didn't have a clue how to pray, then how are you going to establish your five daily prayers? You haven't got a clue how to make wudu, how are you going to purify yourself? These are minimum levels of knowledge. That's why in the Quran, in the Sunnah, there is a lot of encouragement for all of the believers to gain knowledge. To gain knowledge To gain an understanding of your religion Because ultimately On yawmul qiyamah On the day of judgment You are going to be held accountable Upon your actions And your actions that you do in this world Are going to be dependent On the level of your Knowledge, directly connected, on yawmul qiyamah, you are going to be accountable upon your actions, your deeds, what you did in this world. Your deeds and your actions and what you do in this world are all dependent on the knowledge that you have And that's why, in fact, in the Qur'an, Allah told us that knowledge comes first, then your actions. Knowledge precedes the actions. Knowledge and then action upon that knowledge. Anybody able to give us an evidence from the Quran to show that knowledge comes before actions? <laughs> Which is? <laughs> maybe, but there's a better example, maybe better ayat. فعلم أنه ilaha إله إلا الله li no have knowledge. Allah tells us in the Quran. فعلم. no have knowledge that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah and then seek forgiveness. Seeking forgiveness is an action. فَعَلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا No, have knowledge that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. That is talking about knowledge. Have knowledge and then do your action. And that is why the scholars have mentioned this in their books from that ayah in the Qur'an and other evidences that your actions are built upon your knowledge. You must have knowledge of how to worship Allah. Once you gain that knowledge of a particular worship, then you can go and do that worship. As Al Imam Al-Bukhari mentioned then, Baab, Al-Ilmu qabla al-Qawli wal-Amal. There's a chapter he mentioned, knowledge comes before... Statements and actions. Knowledge comes before statements and actions. Because if you do it the other way around, you try and do something before you have knowledge about that thing, you could and likely will end up making mistakes and errors. And Islamically, that means you may end up falling into... Bid'ah and innovation. If a person tries to worship Allah without gaining knowledge of that worship and how that worship is supposed to be done, and he goes and does it however he thinks or hears people saying it, then he may end up falling into innovation, misguidance. When you read Al-Fatiha, and at the end you say, غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عليهم ولا الضالين. When you seek refuge or ask Allah to protect you from the path of those whom Allah's anger is upon, and those who went astray. Who are the ones that go astray? A definition of them. What is the definition of the people who go astray? the ones who try to do action without knowledge. They are waladdaleen, the ones who try to do worship but without knowledge. And so they end up doing innovations and misguidances and all types of things made up. Hence, you start to see the importance of knowledge the importance of understanding the religion, so that our actions we do are based upon knowledge, so that on yawmul qiyamah, when we are held accountable upon those actions, those actions will be, insha'Allah, upon knowledge that we learnt and gained in this world, knowledge from what Allah gave us, from the revelation and the guidance, through the prophets and the messengers. So insha'Allah ta'ala, your actions will then be upright, and they will be in accordance to the Qur'an and the sunnah. And so your accountability will be good insha'Allah. You see the connection? Knowledge and action. And that is together, knowledge and action as it was mentioned about Surah Al-Asr. Allah told us there, وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي illa إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ That by time mankind is in loss, in loss in this world, in the afterlife, except for those إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا They have iman. وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ And they do the righteous actions. Having iman means knowledge. Your iman is built upon your knowledge. If you don't know anything about your Lord, anything about Islam, anything about anything, then what iman do you have? Iman is upon Knowledge. Knowledge of Allah. Knowledge of the angels and the prophets and the messengers. Having knowledge of these affairs strengthens your iman. That's why the scholars say, if you want to strengthen your iman, then the best method to do so is generally seeking knowledge they have mentioned the best method to increase your iman is to seek knowledge. Because the more knowledge you gain about Allah, who Allah is, who your creator is, the names of Allah, the attributes of Allah, the more knowledge you gain about those things, the greater your iman will become. And the greater your iman becomes, the more actions you will do. And the more actions you do, the more worship you do, the more. The more your iman increases. It goes around. You seek knowledge. The more knowledge you gain, the stronger your iman becomes the more you hear of the Qur'an and the speech of Allah and understand it, the more you read of the Sunnah and the Hadith and Bukhari and Muslim and the Prophet said, and the Prophet said, the more you learn about those things, the more your iman becomes stronger and increases. And if your iman has become stronger and increased, you will want to do more worship and actions. And if you do more worship and actions, it then also increases your iman even more, which makes you want to do even more actions and worship, which makes your iman even stronger. Hence the believer starts to recognize the importance of knowledge. This isn't something that you should just allow to go over the heads or in one side out the other, thinking we always hear it, we have to seek knowledge you need to think about the consequences of this knowledge. And why the salaf gave so much importance to it? How much importance the salaf gave to this knowledge? And how much importance the Qur'an and the sunnah gave to this knowledge? And for us to seek this knowledge, great levels of importance. You see for example in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, Can they be equal? Are they the same? The ones who know, have knowledge, and the ones who do not. In the Qur'an Allah mentions, Can they be the same? Are they the same? Are they equal? the ones who have knowledge, and the ones who do not. A Sheikh al rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned, clearly, clearly we understand what this ayah is telling us, clearly the answer we know what it is, that definitely the ones with knowledge, they are superior to the ones who do not have knowledge, because the ones who have knowledge they are able to do their actions and worship Allah in a far greater manner than the one who has no knowledge or little knowledge. And that's why in the Qur'an, Allah informed us also, إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ min مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَاءِ That the ones who truly fear their Lord from His servants are the people of knowledge. They are the ones who truly fear Allah because the people of knowledge, the scholars, they are the ones who have that in-depth knowledge of who their Lord is. They know about the severe punishment of Allah upon the ones who oppose His commandments. They know of the great reward for the ones who perform the righteousness they have that in-depth knowledge of their Lord, and so they are the ones who truly have the khashiyah, as opposed to the general servants of Allah, who will not have that level of khashiyah. And there are many other examples, which highlight the encouragement to seek knowledge, in one narration, the Prophet sallallahu mentioned, مَن يُرِيدِ اللَّهُ بِهِ خَيْرًا يفقه Whomsoever Allah wants goodness for, then Allah gives that person detailed knowledge of the religion. This is a sign of goodness from Allah for a servant a sign that Allah wants goodness for you, that you are given that knowledge and the doors to knowledge are opened up for you. مَنْ Whomsoever Allah wants goodness for, then Allah gives him precise knowledge of the religion. Fiqh. When we talk about fiqh, it is not just general ilm. Fiqh is like a precise and detailed and in-depth knowledge. So the one whom Allah wants goodness for, Allah gives him a precise and in-depth knowledge of the affairs of this religion. In another hadith, the Prophet wasallam mentioned, مَنْ سَلَكَ طَرِيقًا يَلْتَمِسُ فِيهِ علما. سَهَّلَ اللَّهُ لَهُ بِهِ طريقا إلى الجنة that whomsoever treads upon a pathway seeking by it knowledge, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes that person's pathway to paradise easy because of it. How? The hadith tells us that whoever treads upon a pathway seeking knowledge, then Allah will make that person's pathway to paradise easy for him. How? Anyone? How does the pathway to paradise become easy for the one who is treading upon the pathway of knowledge? Because he has khashiyah of Allah. He'll be guided by the righteous actions, everything we've been talking about so far. If you're treading upon the path of knowledge, you're gaining that knowledge, your iman is increasing, you're worshipping Allah, upon that knowledge and understanding, then all of those things are going to be taking you to the path of paradise. Your path to paradise is becoming easy, because of your seeking of knowledge which is increasing your iman, which is increasing your actions, increasing your knowledge and understanding of your Lord, all of that which you are doing upon the path of knowledge, is in reality making your path to paradise easy for you. Whereas a person who does not have knowledge, does not know how to worship Allah, does not have the reality of the khashiyah, doesn't understand the affairs, nothing... Then his path is somewhat more difficult. His path will become more difficult upon Jahl, upon ignorance. And that's why they say, mentioned from Ali Ibn Abi Talib, I think, where he mentioned no from, from one of the, the Salaf of the scholars of the past they mentioned that ignorance jahl. It is something so bad and dispraiseworthy and disliked that the people who are within it they are jahil don't want to be known as jahil Does anybody want to be known as being a jahil as being ignorant who doesn't know anything Does anybody want to be known as that? Nobody Ignorance is such a dispraiseworthy thing that anybody who is actually within it, they are ignorant, they haven't bothered seeking knowledge or anything, they are ignorant, they don't want to, they don't want it to be known. They don't want it to be known that they are upon Jahal and they are in ignorance. Such is the dispraiseworthiness of ignorance. Anybody within it wants to wash their hands of it. But the other side of the coin, knowledge is such a praiseworthy thing, that even those who are not within it, they don't have the knowledge, want to be known as being knowledgeable. Even the ones who don't have knowledge, want to be associated to knowledge. Such is the praiseworthiness of knowledge. Ignorance is so dispraiseworthy, the people who are within it don't want to be known that they are within it. But knowledge is so praiseworthy that even the ones who are not within it want to be recognized and associated as though they are within it. And that doesn't require explanation, all you have to do is go onto YouTube. Sheikh and, Mou- and Mufti and everybody's allama these days no knowledge, never studied in their lives, some of them never ever done a single book from cover to cover with an alim, but they are now sheikh such and such, and mufti such and such, and allama such and such. Everybody wants to be associated into knowledge, even if they don't have that knowledge. It's mentioned in a story, the scholars they used to mention some of the biographies of some of the scholars of the past, highlighting examples of knowledge, and how Allah raises the people of knowledge. It's in the Qur'an, Allah raises the people of knowledge, those who have iman, utu'l-ilm, The ones who have iman, and the ones who have been given knowledge, then Allah raises them in rank. It's mentioned in the story, we've mentioned it before in previous lectures, the story of Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Awqas. Muhammad ibn al-Rahman al-Awqas. He was a man, or when he was born, he was born disabled, or disfigured. His neck was hardly anything there. His head was right into his chest, hardly had any neck, the way he was born. And so his shoulders were sticking out. This is mentioned in his biography, that he was born with his head right down, and his shoulders sticking out, and this is the way he was. Physically his appearance was, as they would say these days, disabled slightly or disfigured. He had this kind of appearance it's mentioned in his biography that on one occasion he was walking down the street and he was making the du'a the du'a that you say sometimes oh Allah free my neck from the fire du'a in Arabic so he was reading that on one occasion and one of his cousins heard it and she said to him and what neck do you have anyway? they used to mock him they used to mock him when he was young everywhere he went, the other kids would laugh at him because of his disability or the way his body was, shoulders all the way out and hardly any neck and the way he walked. So they would mock him. So his mother said to him, that you my son, wherever you go, you are always going to be the one everybody makes the jokes about. Wherever you go, you are always going to be the one who is mocked. So upon you, فَعَلَيْكَ بِالْعِلْمِ Upon you then, the solution to this, is you need to seek knowledge. So Muhammad ibn Abd al-Rahman, he says, those words of my mother, they impacted upon me. And he said he went to seek knowledge, and he began seeking knowledge. And as Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, He raises the rank of the people of knowledge. He began to seek knowledge and seek knowledge. And when he became older, such was the level of knowledge, he was appointed the Qadi in Mecca, the judge in Mecca. And the people when they used to walk into his courtroom, they used to be trembling... Trembling walking in knowing that today Muhammad ibn Abdul Rahman al-Awqas, he's the judge. Knowing their case is going to be heard by Muhammad ibn Abdul Rahman al-Awqas. They would walk in trembling, in fear from him. Why? Because they knew of his level of strength in knowledge. They knew how superior he was compared to them in knowledge. They knew they weren't going to go in there and be able to hoodwink anything. They knew of his level and his status and they were shaking in front of him. And yet physically, he would still be upon that disabled appearance. His appearance hadn't changed. Years earlier they were laughing at him and joking about him because of his appearance. Now he still has the same appearance. But they are not mocking or joking, they are trembling in fear of him, because of how Allah raised him with that knowledge. In another example, they mentioned the story of Umar ibn al-Khattab. Umar ibn al-Khattab, when he was the Khalifa, he on one occasion traveled. On one occasion, he traveled away, he went to Medina, and he had left Nafi' in charge as a deputy in Mecca, during his absence. So when Umar ibn al-Khattab had appointed Nafi' as the, the leader of that area, just like you have now the president or the prime minister of a country, then you have the local regional heads of those areas, the councillors or whatever you want to call them, or the princes in some of the countries. Every area has somebody in charge, and then they are all under the overall ruler. So Umar ibn al-Khattab was the overall Khalifa, but he had deputies in charge of different places. In Makkah, he had Nafi' in charge there. So on one occasion, it was Nafi' who traveled, not Umar ibn al-Khattab. Nafi' on one occasion, left Mecca to go and see Umar ibn al-Khattab in Medina. So when Nafi' arrived in Medina, Umar ibn al-Khattab said to him, who have you left in charge in Mecca, in your absence? Because Umar ibn al-Khattab had appointed Nafi' to be in charge of Mecca. Nafi' was here in Medina with Umar visiting him. So Umar said to him, who have you left in charge whilst you're here visiting me? So Nafi' said to him, I've left somebody by the name of, we've mentioned this story before, what was his name? Ibn Abza. He said, I've left somebody by the name of Ibn Abza in charge temporarily whilst I'm here visiting you. So Umar ibn al-Khattab said to him, Who is Ibn Abza?" Nafi' said to him, He's one of our former slaves. He used to be a slave. He used to be one of our slaves, but he's a free man now. So Umar ibn al-Khattab said to him, You left a former slave in charge? Meaning surprised. Are the people going to listen to him? Are the people going to accept his authority? He used to be a slave amongst them. So Nafi' said to him, that Ibn Abza, he is a man with great knowledge of the Qur'an. With great knowledge of the Qur'an and fiqh, and the faraid, knowledge of the religion in depth. A man with great in-depth knowledge of the Qur'an. Meaning is as we say these days, a scholar. He's a scholar, he's a great man of knowledge. So certainly because of that, people will respect him. So Umar ibn al-Khattab said to Nafi' after hearing that justification as to why he had left a former slave in charge, his justification was because he's a free man now anyway, but he's a man of great knowledge. So Umar ibn al-Khattab said to him, لَقَدْ سَمِعْتَ قَوْلَ نَبِيِّكَ You have certainly heard the statement of your Prophet in that case. لَقَدْ سَمِعْتَ قَوْلَ نَبِيِّكَ You have certainly heard the statement of your Prophet. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَيَرْفَعُ بِهَذَا الْكِتَابِ أَقْوَامًا وَيَضَعُ بِهِ الْآخَرِينَ that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises via this book, the Qur'an, people. Allah raises people via this book, via the people gaining knowledge and understanding of this book. Knowledge. Allah raises people. And Allah debases, lowers others who neglect and reject and are ignorant of this book. Allah raises the people of knowledge of this book of the Qur'an, and Allah lowers those who reject or turn their backs and are ignorant of this book. So that man Ibn Abza, a former slave amongst them, from his knowledge and understanding in depth of the Qur'an and of fiqh, from that knowledge he was raised and respected amongst the people of Makkah such that they would give him authority and they would listen to him and he could be in charge in the absence of nafi'ah. Again the scholars they mentioned that as an example of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises the people of knowledge, raises those who study and put their efforts into understanding the Qur'an, understanding the sunnah. In other narrations, you see the examples of encouragement, encouragement for seeking knowledge. And in fact, it is in the same hadith, of the one who treads a path in seeking knowledge, Allah makes his pathway to paradise easy. In that same narration later on, it mentions that the angels lower their wings for the student of knowledge for what he is doing. What is he doing? seeking knowledge of the Qur'an, seeking knowledge of the sunnah, learning the hadith, memorizing, practicing, the angels lower their wings for the student of knowledge, in pleasure for what he is doing, in satisfaction at seeing what he is doing, that he is putting his time into seeking knowledge, into wanting to understand the speech of Allah, to understand the sunnah. And you have to weigh that up, and to balance that with what you see in real life examples, and you'll know what it means. These days, you see the people, they are out there, you see some of them, all they talk about is mobile phones. He's talking about the latest gadget, he's talking about the latest device, and the latest memory, and this and that technology. Some people, that is all they know. When you see them, that is all they will ever talk about. Others, they're talking about their cars, and this car, and that car, and this... Whatever technology you can get in cars talking about those things and that is all they know, and that's their passion and their desire, you could sit with them till Fajr and they'll carry on telling you about all of the different models and specifications. These days, everybody hears and sees on a daily basis the issues of COVID and the issues of vaccinations, how with such passion People talk about those things with passion. And you could sit with some of them till Fajr now and they wouldn't finish. If a person could have that type of passion for learning the Qur'an, for learning the Sunnah, for learning the Hadith, if you had this level of passion, then certainly you would see progress certainly you would see that a person begins to build his level step by step, build his level of understanding bit by bit, increasing section by section, memorizing a hadith per week, a hadith per week, per two weeks, memorizing an ayah per day, per two days, every three days, And you'll see after a month and two months and six months and a year, the progress a person has made. It all builds up in that step by step. When we were in Medina, in the first year, in the Arabic Institute, and there were students from all different countries, 25 different countries in my class, and there were students from Japan and China and Italy and Venezuela and all the places. And some of these students had never even learnt Alif Ba'ata. They didn't even know Alif Ba'ata 20 years old. 21, 22, they've come to the University of Medina to start learning and they barely knew, if at all, Alif Ba'ata some of them. And that's where they began. They began with Alif, Ba, Ta, Tha. They began one by one learning all of these letters, especially some of these countries, Japan, China, other places, where the alphabet is completely different, Arabic, they've never seen it. And so they began from the first step, Alif, Ba, Ta. And after two or three years, they had completed the Arabic language to a level that they could now do a degree in Islamic studies at the university. Two or three years of persistent, focused effort. There are stories we've heard of people and I've seen myself, people in their 60s and 70s. They start for the first time, memorizing the Qur'an. In their 60s and 70s, they start for the first time to memorize the Qur'an, and they finish it late into their 70s maybe. A person of that age, striving still and finishing the Qur'an, starting in his 60s, maybe finishing in his 70s, the point is, a person needs to have that mental strength, because knowledge does not come easily. لا يُنَالُ الْعِلْم بِرَاحَةِ الْجَسَدِ The salaf they mentioned, ibn Bi كَثِيرٌ That knowledge does not come with relaxation and ease. If you want to relax, you want ease and comfort. Sitting back on the sofa, the reclining sofa at that, relaxing cup of tea, biscuits, whatever it is, knowledge will not come to you on a plate. In that type of situation, only the biscuits and the cakes come to you on a plate. Knowledge does not come with ease in this way. jasad. If you want knowledge, it takes effort and striving even to the little things. Now everybody has left their homes and has made the journey five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, some maybe hours, to get here to attend a gathering of knowledge. That is effort in the path of knowledge and that is minor compared to what the salaf used to do. What the salaf did in seeking and searching for this knowledge, then it is, what we do is not even comparable. Even if you have to drive an hour or two hours in your car, to get to the class, it is luxury compared to what the Salaf used to do. It's mentioned in Al-Jarh Al-Ta'deel, at the beginning in the introduction. Some of the scholars of the past, Al-Razi, he mentions that, they used to, in those days of course, in the deserts and the old times, no cars, no nothing, they used to attend a lesson of a sheikh in a particular masjid, and then when that lesson finished, then, like in our example now, on the other side of Bradford, three miles away, there would be another class. So as soon as this one finished, they would start running the three miles, four miles, to get to the other side of Bradford, as an example, to get to that class. Because there was a sheikh over there teaching. Then after that one finished, then back to the other end of Bradford, another five miles that way. Start running to get to that one in time. They used to do that. And he mentions on one occasion, we were so busy with all of these classes, going to one class here, another class there, one after the next, and when you have a break in between, there is some time revising over all of the notes, going through all of the, the chains of narration, going through all of the hadith, memorizing, revising, working through it all. That they were so busy, he said on one occasion, after we finished a class or something, we were walking, and we happened to be walking through the market, To get back to their house to revise or to the next class. He said we were walking through the market and as we were walking through the market, there was a succulent fish for sale. A juicy looking fish. Somebody was selling fish in the market. And he said as we walked through, we saw it and we thought we should purchase that fish. We'll have that later tonight. So he said, we bought the fish. Bought the fish and we took it. He said, when they got home, they opened up their books, put the fish down, not in any fridge or anything in those days. Put the fish down as it is, 20, 30 degrees, whatever it is. Put the fish away somewhere as best as you can. And they said, they were busy yet. They were busy yet. Put the fish away and they began looking into their notes, into their books, revising, studying. And the whole day went. And they didn't get a chance to cook the fish. So one day, that night it stayed. The next day they thought, okay, next day maybe it'll last one day just about. Next day, off to the lessons with the scholars here and there, back home revising, studying. The whole day went, they didn't get a minute to go and cook the fish. They say by the time it got to the third day... And still they didn't have no time to put a fire together, get the fish and cook it and eat it. They ate it raw. Because they had no time. You have an option, either I can study this chain of narration and learn the details of this chain of narration, or I can go and sit and eat a fish. For the salaf, there was no, it wasn't even an option it wasn't even something to think about in that situation the fish out of the window not even given any consideration the knowledge was the priority in another example they mention of one of the salaf I forgot who forgot who the name was one of the salaf or one of the scholars of the past in his biography they say that he used to study and when it came when it came time to eat he would have his cup of water, and he would have some bread. Bread and water, that's all he had. But, he wouldn't eat the bread by taking a bite out of the bread, and then having some water, and then some more of the bread, and then some water, which is how you would eat. He would get the bread, squash it all up into little crumbs, into the glass of water. Get all of this loaf or however much he had, squash it all up into the glass of water, and then drink that water. Drink the glass of water with all the bread squashed inside. They said to him, Sheik, yani, with all due respect, what kind of a meal is that? What's going on? Why are you squashing all the bread into the water? Soggy bread imagine doing it soggy bread in that, just pieces of soggy bread, and you're drinking that, then why? He said, listen, if I have to eat the bread separately, and I have to take some bites out of the bread, and then you take some sips of water, and you have some more of the bread, as people eat normally, take some more, and then take some sips, that's going to take me at least twice, or three times as long, to finish that meal. But if I grab all of the bread, squash it up in there, gulp it down, it's done within 10 seconds. Done, finished, back to the hadith again. And these are real stories. This is what they used to do. Imagine to that level, to that level, you would think, okay, a piece of bread and water, it's going to take me two minutes. But two minutes compared to 10 seconds is a big difference. If you talk about it in percentages, that's a massive difference. So they wouldn't do it. He would drink it in one go, even in our time. A Sheikh Al Albani, Rahimahullah Taala, the story about his library. When A Sheikh Al Albani was getting his library fixed, personal library uh, that he had, he was getting the door fixed or some work done, and when the person came to fix the door on his library, the Sheikh said to him, "Make sure that you put the door." To the library as a push door. I want to be able to open it in and walk into the library. Don't make it that I have to pull it out and then walk into the library. The architect or the carpenter, he said well, this particular door, this location it doesn't make a difference. What's the big deal? I can do it this way, that way I mean, what's the big deal about a push door? Sheik al-Albani said to him, if you make it, the hinges so that I can push the door in and walk in, that will be a lot quicker for me every time I go into my library. Compared to going to my library, then stopping, pulling the door out and walking in, you've added an extra second or two every time you walk into the library. He said, make it a push door, I'll save myself a couple of seconds every time. They say also that he used to have, a Sheikh al-Bani, used to have an hour for questions on the phone. It was a set hour. And people could ring him, an open telephone hour. He would be there, and any calls that came in, he would answer them in that hour. They say on one occasion, whatever the hour was, 5 p.m., 6 p.m., for example, on one occasion somebody rang him two minutes before the hour began. Obviously the person thought, let me get in there first before the the lines get jammed up and everybody's ringing I'll quickly ring right now 458 I'll get in there first so the phone rang and the sheikh answered it and the person said I'm a questioner I'm ringing for the one hour question time I'm using that opportunity I've rung for a question the sheikh said to him actually it's 2 minutes left before that one hour question time begins these two minutes are my private study time yet, you can call in two minutes. Two minutes of private study time yet. And the scholars, we saw this type of thing ourselves. We saw it ourselves in Medina. That sometimes in the haram, in al-Masjid al-Nabawi, you may go to a scholar, you see them come in for the prayer, so you go, give salam, you want to sit and ask some questions and things, There were times when some of them used to say, please forgive me and just excuse me for the moment. I have personal dhikr I need to do, I have uh, other supplications, du'as, some study, I need this time, please excuse me for the moment. Not because they were just sitting relaxing, they wanted to relax, no. Because they had certain things they needed to do, maybe it was time for one of the times of the adhkar of the day, and they would say, excuse me for a moment. Shaykh Muhammad al-Banna, rahimahullah, before he passed away, he was very elderly in age, in his 90s. So on one occasion, we saw him in the haram in Mecca. went up to him to sit with him, to ask questions. And after a minute or so, after we went and gave the greetings etc., he said, please excuse me if you don't mind. He said, I'm very old in age. And he had the Qur'an there. He said, I need to recite very old in age, I have one foot in the grave already, I need to increase in my good deeds, allow me to have this time for myself, so I can recite the Quran, and every letter is for ten rewards. Allow me to have this time to increase in my deeds, to increase in my actions, in reciting the Quran, for every letter is ten rewards. And they would do this, and it is well known, So time is precious. When you think about what we said before, the accountability, the accountability on the actions that you've done in this world, which are based upon knowledge. When you die, we know that all of your deeds, they are now stopped. The opportunity is gone now. Your opportunity for good deeds and actions is finished. except. One of the exceptions, there's a, a few exceptions, one of them is knowledge. You carry on getting the reward for your knowledge even after you die. As the hadith mentions, إِذَا مَاتَ الْعَبْدِ إِنْ عَنْهُ عَمَلُهُ إِلَّا مِنْ ثَلَاثِ When a servant dies, all of his actions are cut off except three. صَدَقَةٍ Ongoing charity. عِلْمٍ بِهِ Knowledge which is benefited from after his death. And a righteous child who makes du'a for him. So note, one of them is the knowledge that is benefited from. He dies and he leaves behind knowledge. And the people carry on benefiting from that knowledge, even after he dies and is gone then he continues to get the reward for that knowledge which he spread and the people they learnt and they are benefiting from and they are spreading and teaching, continues to gain the reward for that knowledge. And this shows you the virtue of knowledge that it is one of the actions that continues to gain reward for you even after your death. So it's important for every believer to understand the virtue and the great level of importance this knowledge has. The prophets and messengers, when they died, they didn't leave behind wealth or money. They didn't leave any wealth or money. That wasn't what they bequeathed. What they left behind was knowledge. al anbiya لَمْ يُوَرِّثُوا دِرْهَمًا وَلَا ديناره. إِنَّمَا وَرَّثُوا الْعِلْمُ فَمَنْ أَخَذَهُ أَخَذَ بِحَظٍ وَافِرٍ That whomsoever, uh, that the prophets, they did not leave behind wealth, the inheritance. People die, they leave behind money as inheritance, the sons and daughters take the money. The prophets did not leave behind money. They left behind knowledge. إِنَّمَا وَرَّثُ الْعِلْمِ فَمَنَ أَخَذَهُ So whomsoever takes that knowledge, then he has certainly taken something of a great proportion for himself. Because in this world, from all of the things that you can take, the most noble of them is knowledge. The one who takes that inheritance from the prophets of knowledge, then that is the greatest of affairs that you can take. So give importance and think carefully about these matters. It is not casually that the scholars regularly, continuously encourage the people to seek knowledge, encourage the people to learn about their religion. You have a Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad in Medina when we used to be there teaching six days a week in his 80s, 90s coming up. A man of that age Six days a week. Here, mashallah, if we can get the brothers to come out once a week, it's something to celebrate. That the brothers, they came to a lesson once a week, or twice a week, three times a week, hero status. But there, a Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abbad, a scholar of that age, six days a week, blind almost he was now, Physically as well had to sit on a wheelchair when we first went. His eyesight was okay, he was walking, and as the years went on and he became older, his eyesight worsened, physically he had to sit on a wheelchair, but still, six days a week, six days a week, coming and teaching in the haram going through, the Sunan of Ibn Majah Bukhari, Tirmidhi Abu Dawood, you have the other scholars there as well, as Ali Nasr al-Faqih, he used to come to the haram regularly, two, three times a week, in the Hajj and Ramadan time on a daily basis. You have Shaykh Ubaid al-Jabiri teaching, he used to teach sometimes lessons, two hours, three hours, one sitting. Al-Qawaid al Arba. the four fundamental principles, some of you will have done that book, and when you've done that book here, with one of the students maybe, You've probably done it over six sessions, seven sessions, maybe ten sessions. Al-Qawaid al-Arba' In 2006 maybe, Shaykh Ubaid, he taught Al-Qawaid al-Arba' in two sittings. The first sitting we went, two hours, three hours long, half of the book finished. Next day we went, another two, three hours, the second half of the book finished. The whole book finished in two days, two sittings two-hour, three-hour sittings for the scholars. And they are in their older ages now, 60s and 70s and 80s. And they are sitting there for three-hour sittings. On one occasion, there was a conference. We'll conclude upon this. There was a conference in Medina. They have conferences quite regularly there as well, where all the mashayikh, they come and they participate. In one particular conference, one of the mashayikh, he was teaching Kitab al-Kabair of al-Dhahabi. The book of major sins of al-imam al-Dhahabi. And it's a reasonable size book. This conference was only scheduled for one week, seven days. And this particular shaykh, he had the slot of after fajr. His slot was after fajr, and his book was the book of major sins of al-imam al-Dhahabi. Seven sessions, one week only the conference. To finish that in seven sessions, you're doing very, very well. It's a long book to try and finish in seven sessions. In this country, impossible. So he now came in at Fajr, 4.35 a.m. Fajr used to be in those days, begin the class, 5.30 a.m., and he would carry on till approximately 9, 9.30 a.m. We would be sat there, you've been sitting now for 1 hour 10 minutes. We would be sitting there continuously for nearly 4 hours. No break in between after fajr, no prayer to break it up and get a small break or anything, coffee break, nothing. In fact, the students, they said to him when he did that for the first 2 days, 4 hour sittings, The third day, the students, they said to him, the second or the third day, somebody sent him a note, and the sheikh read it out. He said, I've got a note somebody sent me, I'd like to just share it with you all. Somebody suggested that maybe we should do two hours, and then we should take a small break, get some tea, get some drink, take a small 10-15 minute break, and then come back and do another two hours. A reasonable suggestion. The sheikh said, but no, but no, we are going to finish the class. We're going to get through what we need to get through and then you can go do what you want, relax and have your tea. And so he sat there every day for four hours and finished the book in a week. That's of course a slightly different scenario. Slightly different because obviously everybody there are students, they are there for the purpose of studying But that doesn't make it hugely different. Even in this country now, every person needs to have that student of knowledge mentality. The mentality of studying, the mentality of learning, the mentality of going through the Qur'an, the Sunnah, of memorizing the hadith, the statements of the Salaf, you need to have that mentality of knowledge. That's how you will understand your religion better. That's how you will build your connection to Allah better. That's how you will increase your actions and your iman. It's very important that a person understands those things. Do not neglect knowledge. Do not neglect it as though it is a side thing. Knowledge is the priority. Everything else is the side thing. It's like they mention, one of the salaf. He got married, on the day of his marriage, the day he got married, he heard that one of the scholars was coming to some neighboring city. So he said to his wife, who he's been married to for a few hours now, my apologies, but I need to go out tonight. And he left her. On the day of his marriage, he went to go and sit with that sheikh. He said, one of the big ulama of the time, I've heard recently he's coming to such and such Keithley or something, the next city, I have to go. And the woman she says, he left me crying on our marriage night. Of course, I don't say that you do that, but the point is the level of striving in knowledge. No! If there are any questions or anything anybody wishes to say or add, we have a couple of minutes before the prayer. You can say so now. Sin punishable greater than the person, whether that doesn't have knowledge, on the basis that he's he knows that this sin is committed of of a certain value or a certain. Mm, so somebody who has knowledge and commits sins is that basically worse than somebody who doesn't have knowledge and ends up committing sins, because the one who has knowledge knows about things about halal, haram, etc. But the one who's jahil, he's jahil and he commits sins. So is it worse to commit sins if you have knowledge? In some regards, yes, the scholars have mentioned of course, there is a greater responsibility upon a person who has knowledge in terms of him knowing that this is haram and this is halal and this is permissible, this is impermissible and there is a greater responsibility upon that person to implement that knowledge and the one who is jahil committing sins is still of course a sin but a person should not think to make a direct comparison and therefore come to the conclusion that it's better to just stay ignorant that doesn't work at all that type of Analysis doesn't work. For a person to say, well in that case I'll just stay ignorant. No, the ignorant one committing sins is committing sins and will be punishable. But the one who has gained knowledge, you have a greater iman and it will prevent you from committing sins. A person shouldn't be thinking, but if I gain knowledge, but then I end up committing sin. Everybody ends up committing sins. كُلُّ بَنِي آدَمْ all of the sons of Adam they commit error. But the best of those who commit error are the ones who then repent. That all of you make sin day and night, but I am the one who forgives, so seek forgiveness from me and I will forgive, Allah says. Ibn al-Qayyim mentioned one of the wisdoms behind the fact that Allah has decreed that we do end up committing sins is that it gives the opportunity to that servant to then lower himself before Allah even more and to be subservient even more and to recognize his error, to make tawbah and that then raises his rank. So a person should not make a comparison that the one more knowledgeable is going to get more punishment because he knows and the one ignorant gets less. It's not like that. You should be thinking about the fact that the more knowledge you have, the greater it strengthens you and prevents you from committing sin. And even if you do, and everybody does, then it's an opportunity to repent and to make tawbah and to be subservient and lower yourself before Allah even more. Anybody else? Uh, how can we, uh, sincerity in seeking knowledge. Sincerity in seeking knowledge. The, they used to say, your actions can only be valid and good if they are based upon knowledge. And your knowledge is only going to be valid and good if it was sought upon sincerity. Sincerity. Sufyan al-Thawri or Sufyan ibn Uyayna, one of them, he mentioned that we sought knowledge without knowing the reality of sincerity initially, but then we sought it knowing the reality of sincerity. And then he said, "Ma alajtu shay'an, ashadu 'alayya min niyati, yawman laka wa He said, I've never had to deal with something more difficult than my own intention. One day it's with me, pure, sincere, and one day it starts going against me. I never had to deal with something more difficult than my own intention, my sincerity. One day with me, one day against me. So the salaf, they used to say, you need to purify your intention for that knowledge. But this is where you come back to the circle again. To purify your intention for that knowledge, you have to actually gain knowledge. Because the more knowledge you gain, you understand the importance of purifying intention. So it goes together again. You begin with sincerity and you start seeking knowledge. The more knowledge you gain, the more understanding you have, and the need for purity, then the more your intention becomes... More sincere and purified and better. So it goes hand in hand. A person seeks his knowledge, knowing he's doing it for the sake of Allah, not for the sake of the people, not to turn the heads of the people towards him, not Ria and, and sumatan showing off and wanting the people to say such and such, masha'Allah, such and such, this knowledge and that knowledge, not doing it for those reasons, but doing it sincerely because you know this will aid you in your actions and that will ultimately, by the mercy of Allah, be your means of salvation in the afterlife. Anybody else? If a person wasted time not gaining knowledge, and not practicing... Are they still believers? There are... The scholars have mentioned about the issues of Iman That there are certain actions that would Declare a person outside of Iman Like for example Some of the scholars hold the opinion That a person who doesn't pray Is a kafir That a person who doesn't pray is a disbeliever, and there are many evidences to indicate that, أشرك, that the covenant, the barrier between us and them is the prayer. So whoever abandons it, then he has committed kufr or shirk. That's a clear narration, highlighting the difference between the believers and the non-believers. So some of the scholars have mentioned if a person isn't practicing, i.e. he's not even praying, then he's not a Muslim. But other scholars have mentioned the one who takes the testimony, the shahada, and has that basic level of iman, then it's possible that even then at the lowest level of iman, at the lowest level of tawhid, that they would still be considered believers, even if they missed prayers out of laziness here and there. But of course a person who's not practicing at all, you need to give him da'wah. Give those people da'wah, try and bring them to the religion, to practicing Islam. Anybody else? In that case we'll conclude upon that then. And we'll pray insha'allah ta'ala, and until the next gathering.